Welcome to Married by Design. In the midst of all that you're facing, you probably need some encouragement to stay the course and not lose heart. That's what we'll be looking at on this episode of Married by Design. The purpose of the Married by Design podcast is to encourage couples to enjoy all that God has for them in their marriage relationship. Welcome back to our podcast. We're in between series and we want to present a number of issues to encourage you in your faith and your marriage. This week and next week, we're going to be sharing with you a sermon that I had a chance to preach recently at our home church. In our counseling and general contact with people, it seems that with all that we've been facing and the challenges in the world today, there has been a tendency to lose heart, to lose the wind in your sails and become discouraged and walk instead of run the race for the Christian life. I wanted to address that and looked at Paul's encouragement to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 3. So we want to encourage you to sit back, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, and find some encouragement to stay strong and not lose heart. We're going to be looking at Ephesians 3 this morning, so if you want to turn there. Pastor Nigel did uh, speak a couple times yesterday, and uh, he asked me if I would kind of fill in because of all that he had going on, and it it's part of the sovereignty of God that he wasn't feeling well this morning, so it's good that uh, I'm able to do this this morning, so. I want to look at Ephesians 3 this morning, and I want to encourage you in your faith. There's so much going on right now that is disturbing. There's the spiritual slide in our country, and we see the results of that more and more everywhere. We may feel like as Christians that we want to hunker down and kind of hold on. I think about it was some years ago that we were at the coast and we had taken our dogs and we had this golden retriever and we walked out on this pier and the pier was unstable and so we were out on the pier and our dog was out on the pier and I grabbed the sides of this little pier and I began to shake it and immediately when the pier shook our dog hunkered down low to the ground just trying to hold on and I thought how often that is sometimes in our lives as believers that's exactly what we do we come to a situation where we're just trying to hold on. Maybe it's because we're tired and weary, discouraged. Some relationship that we're struggling through, some loss that you've suffered that's been devastating. Maybe it's something that somebody else has been going through. Some physical ailment, some wearying challenge that you have. Sometimes we don't even know why we feel discouraged and lose heart. Jan and I have a podcast and we're just finishing one series and going into another and we want to address the issue of depression because I see it so much in our society today in the world. And we just get tired. I went to UCLA and I was at a sailing club and uh, I used to go out on the channel uh, in Marina Del Rey and uh, windsurf. If you've ever done that, you have to balance on the board, but there's also this large sail that you have to hold on to when you're moving. 
and there's a rope on the end of the sail and when you uh, fall down or something happens, the sail goes into the water and you've got to take that rope and pull it out of the water, especially if the sail isn't flat on the water but it's straight down, it really, can be really hard to pull up. And I remember sometimes being out of Marina del Rey and the clouds are coming and the boats are going by and the wind is blowing, my sail's down straight in the water and I'm just sitting on the board thinking, I'm tired. I don't want to pull the sail out. I don't want to go on. And that's what I think Paul is wanting to help the people in Ephesus to deal with. Maybe some of you are feeling a little bit like that this morning too. So I want to read this passage in Ephesians chapter 3. If you would stand with me, I want to read it and then just pray briefly. I'm going to start in verse 13. He says, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is for your glory. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do abundantly more than all that we ask or think. According to the power that work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Father, open our eyes to see wonderful things in your law. And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, Paul writes here about how he is encouraging the Ephesians to not lose heart. That's what he says in verse 13. In their case, they were looking at his suffering and all that he was going through as an apostle. And Paul was concerned that they would not lose heart. Paul was writing from prison, persecution, hardships he endured as an apostle's recorded in other places, seen in his other letters. And he was concerned that they would be discouraged, that they would lose heart over those difficulties. How is it that as a Christian that we would be in a place where we would not lose heart? When things are going bad or things have gone bad, when things are hard, when life is difficult, 
how is it that we keep encouraged and press on with enthusiasm? And we know sometimes as Christians that we, we should be excited about life, but we just don't have the energy. Our sail is down in the water and we're just sitting on the board. And I want to suggest some truth out of this passage to combat discouragement and to keep from losing heart. What is it that we should understand? What is it that we should do as believers in Jesus Christ? To have the perspective that life is beautiful, that it is a great, daring adventure. Despite the loss, despite the difficulties, despite the trials. And one of the things that really hit me in this passage was Paul's perspective. Paul should have been the one that of all people, looking at what he was facing in prison and possibly deaths, you would expect him to have lost heart. He was writing from prison, unsure of his future, having been beaten, having faced opposition both from outside the church and inside the church. And yet, you don't see that in his writings, in his heart. What you see in his letters especially the ones written from prison, are words filled with encouragement and faith and vibrancy. There's not a, a hint of Paul losing heart, of licking his wounds, of grumbling and complaining because his focus is elsewhere. To face the hardships and not lose heart. Helen Keller once wrote, life is beautiful. Life is either a daring adventure or nothing. What a great quote. What a great perspective. I don't know that she was a believer, but it's especially meaningful when you understand that Helen Keller was both blind and deaf. That she faced isolation she faced great barriers and apparently she accepted those struggles but didn't let them dominate her. She focused on the opportunities. Paul's focus here was on the Ephesians. He was so concerned about them not losing heart. If you focus on others rather than the things that you're going through, I think that's the beginning of finding a way about keeping your heart and not losing heart. That's what Paul did. When you move your eyes off of yourself and the things that you've gone through and on to others, God uses that in our life to lift us up. To focus on the spiritual needs and the opportunities to meet those needs. I know that's the case with me. I meet with some guys during the week and it is the highlight of my week. To look beyond my own heartache and the things maybe I face at times to see the opportunities to minister to them and to encourage them, it encourages me and pulls me out of myself. I think it's that in itself was a good lesson for us to learn. I love what Paul writes in the letter to the Philippians, also from prison. 
There's no mention really of his imprisonment except that he says despite being in prison that the gospel is going out. You see again that reorientation of his focus and his thinking. He said in chapter 1 that the gospel went out to the whole Praetorian guard, those that were guarding him. I love that. Paul decided where his focus was going to be. Even, as he said after that, when others were causing him distress in his imprisonment, because they had more freedom, they had more opportunity, he said, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, in that I will rejoice. Always focused on others. Always focused on the kingdom of God and the opportunities. I've always thought about how much time Paul spends on the Gospels in his epistles, and I'm sure it's because he wants his readers to really understand the Gospel and all that it means. But I just speculate that maybe Paul writes it also because he has to remind himself about this glorious truth and the transformation that can take place. That he rehearses this good news. I think this is probably a key to not losing heart. Deciding where we focus our mind. It was Paul in Philippians, this whole book where he talks about rejoicing, rejoicing in the Lord, and you read this thinking he's in prison. In Philippians 4.8, we know this. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think your mind, set your mind on these things. Peter said, set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. There are some who are stuck in their minds and the difficulties, on the hardships. You could talk to somebody and it's always an update about their medical condition or what the doctors are going to do or what tests they're going to go through. Or they talk about that terrible person or that event that happened that seems to be the thing that captivates their heart or the devastating event that they allowed to imprint on their thoughts and their minds and become the focus of their life. I'm not suggesting it means that we ignore the issues in, the life, in our life and the things that we have to face. It doesn't mean that you just put on a happy face. You have to face these things and you have to respond at times and deal with them. There is a place for grief. There is a place for reflection. But where does your mind and heart camp? What do you rest on? Where is your focus? Where is your focus during the day? In the middle of the night when it's dark and you're laying there all alone. Where is your mind? I think there's some things as believers that we have to be reminded of the truth. And that's what Paul does in this passage. I love what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it's right, as long as I am in the body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will soon be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. 
I will make every effort so that after my departure you may able to at any time recall these things. See the number of times Peter there talks about recalling, remembering things because in the difficulty and the trial and the loss and all the things that we experience, those are the things that we forget that we have to be reminded of. Truths of who God is, the truths of the gospel, the calling on our lives. Things that get clouded out. Things that we tend to forget. Those are the things that we have to come back to. So we look in Ephesians chapter 3. Paul spends three chapters talking about this gospel, this transformation, this hope, this divine redemption, this rescue of the rebellious. Reminding them and himself. Encouraging them not to shrink back. So in the section in verses 4 to 21, Paul suggests a number of truths that they need to fix their minds on. That they need to come back to. Rather than allowing the dark cloud of discouragement to remain over them, these truths can dissipate that cloud and help them to live the life of adventure that is to be the Christian life. Well, the first thing that we see is Paul's commitment to pray for them. Even before he begins to talk about the truths that would keep them from losing heart, he knows that they need God's help. He says in verse 14, for this reason, you say for what reason? Because he was concerned about them losing heart. He says... He bows his knee before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. This sovereign God, this God that has created everything, that watches over everything, that is a father to his children, is the one that Paul calls out to on behalf of the Ephesians. Paul is committed back to prayer it's not the only time in this book that Paul talks about prayer. If you go back to chapter 1 and verse 16, he says there, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened. I love that. I need the eyes of my heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he calls you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. I'm so encouraged as I read that to see that Paul prayed specifically to encourage them and praying such wonderful things that we need to pray for those who are under that heavy burden and we need to pray for ourselves. Prayer is essential and we know that but we don't know that because we can get so weary and just not feel like praying. We need to commit individuals to prayer to help them in the midst of the spiritual battle 
there's a supernatural power when we bow our knees before the Father and look to him and trust him to work and do the work that we can never do in that person's heart or even in our own heart. I look back in Exodus chapter 17, the powerful example of prayer in the midst of the battle. It says in verse 8, Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. And Moses knew and understood that he needed to pray for Joshua who was in the battle because it was not horses, it was not chariots that gave the victory. The battle was the Lord's. He said, I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. And it says in verse 11 that when he held his hands up toward the Lord in prayer, they won the battle. Let's hold our hands up in prayer for God to work in our own hearts. That's what Paul says. He says, I bow my knee before the Father as he looks at the struggles and the things that they're going through to trust and believe that God would work and do immeasurably more before than what we can ask or think. Even in our own lives, if we're in that place to realize that if you don't feel like praying, to still know and by faith call out to God. That's what the psalmist did in Psalms. When he was in turmoil, when he was losing heart, Psalm 77, I cry out to God, aloud to God, he will hear me and in the day of my trouble I seek the Lord. In the night my hand is stretched out without weary. My soul refuses to be comforted when I remember God. I moan when I meditate, my spirit faints. In Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog. Do you feel like you're in a miry bog right now? He set my feet on a rock, making my steps sure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to God. Many will fear and put their trust in the Lord. Psalm 62, for God alone my soul waits in silence. For him, from him come to me, comes to me salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. And when you understand this, coming to Christ, right? When we come to a place in our life that we see our sin and we see our brokenness and we see that we can't make it on ourselves, that we're apart from God at a moment in time, we believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that we turn from our sin and we turn to him when we call out, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And in a moment of time, that transition takes place to bring us to a place of redemption and hope and healing. But it doesn't stop when we accept Christ. God still wants us to call out to him as father. Look in 2 Kings chapter 19. Jerusalem was under siege from the Assyrians. Rabshakeh comes and t- 
taunts Israel about their destruction. He sent King Hezekiah a letter. It says, Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers that read it. And Hezekiah, I love this. He went up to the house of the Lord and spread it, spread the letter before the Lord. God, here's the burden, here's the trial, here's the difficulty, here's the thing that almost seems impossible. This is what's weighing me down, and he lays it out before the Lord. And he says, oh Lord, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are, you are God alone. Of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord. And hear, open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. <laughs> 